we're going to hear later in the service, we need to be a little careful about how we interpret the word prosperity. It's come to have a little bit of baggage in our culture today. But we're going to find out not only that God promises prosperity, uh, but that he promises prosperity in a unique way that only God can. Uh, so let me read these verses, uh, 1 through 9 in Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll preach from them just a little bit. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God add these blessings to the reading of his word. I'd like to call the deacons forward for the collection. I, I, I spent over 30 years in retail management. Um, the Lord called me to ministry at 50 years old. Uh, I thought I was ready to retire. He had other plans. Um, but uh, for a large part of my retail management career, I was blessed to be able to run dealerships. God saw fit to put me with men who might not have known who Jesus Christ was, but demanded integrity. So I was able to be a little bit of an anomaly in the uh, car business, somebody who was upright and honest. At least I tried as hard as I could be. Uh, there were a lot, of, a lot of pleasures, a lot of pressure, a lot of joys in the car business. I enjoyed it. But one of the things I enjoyed the most was interviewing people that wanted to become salespeople. And so we'd put an ad out or we'd, somebody would walk in. And so I would always start the interview with a question that was designed to get them to talk and kind of loosen up things a little bit and find out how they did on their feet, how they did. And so... Uh, I would say, why do you want to work here? Well, I had a guy walk in one day, and he was applying for a sales position, and he sat down in front of me. He's young, 22, 23 years old or so. And I said, tell me why you want to work here. And he said, well, I heard you were a Christian. And I said, okay, so you want to work here because I'm a Christian? He said, well, no, but, you know, I wanted to work because I'm a Christian. I wanted to work somewhere where there was another Christian, and and, but the real reason I want to work here is I want to be successful. 
I said, what does that mean? He said, I want to have a lot of money. And I said, okay, so where does that come from? He goes, well, God promised to prosper me. I said, great. How does that work? He said, well, all my friends tell me that I'd be a great salesperson, so I figure that you'll give me a desk and I'll just start selling cars and I'll make a lot of money. I said, well, there's a little bit more to it than that. First, we have to go through three weeks of training. You can't even hit the floor until we spend some time with you. Uh, Then you're going to have to look at a year and a half or so of being hungry. Uh, It takes a while to get started. You need to build a client base. You need to to build some experience. You need to wait for people to walk in. You need to be on the phone calling people, cold calls. You need to be all through the community, handing your card out to everybody to take it, people at the the supermarkets and so on and so forth. And, And if you're successful at that, you can survive the first year and maybe make enough money to feed yourself uh, but you don't really kind of come into income until you've been in the business for a while, year and a half, two years, three years or so. If you can survive the first three years, then you probably have a career. The guy looked at me and said, three years. I said, three years. He stood up and he said, thank you for your time. And he, he was looking for a different way to be successful. He thought this would be easy. And, you know, a large part of the world believes that that's how success comes to us. It just kind of falls upon us. And, and maybe we look at people that are successful and go, gee, I wish I could do what they did. And don't realize there might be a lot of work behind it. But sometimes our expectations kind of exceed the reality. But there's something I want to share with you today because I think there's good news. If we take a look in the Bible, uh, we would see that there is a promise of prosperity. God wants you to prosper. And what we're going to do is see how that works in our passage today. Now, I know already a few of you have a knot in your stomach. Uh, Because as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the word prosperity comes with a lot of baggage in our culture today. And I'm going to just ask you to hold on to that thought for a little bit and see if you don't agree with me at the end. So uh, we're in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look very closely at verses 3 through 9. And the title of the sermon is How to Have a Prosperous Year. So we're going to start the year off right, okay, with the right attitude. Now, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. Uh, The first five books are called the Pentateuch. Some people call them Torah. Um, the Joshua is the beginning of the rest of the Bible, and by the time we get to Joshua, God has chosen a people. Uh, he has delivered them out of Egypt. He's given them the law. He's given them the tabernacle. He's given them the sacrificial ceremonial system. Uh, they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because uh, they didn't handle all this in a very godly manner. Uh, And at the beginning of Joshua, we find God's people once again at the border of the promised land, looking across the Jordan into into Canaan, the land that God had promised them. Moses is dead, and Joshua is going to lead. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of conjecture here. I don't know exactly what Joshua was thinking. Uh, It's not there in the text, but I could very easily imagine Joshua going, well, that was rough. That, that was a long walk. And Caleb's standing there. I mean, you and I are the only ones left. Everybody's gone. And there's the promised land. We're there. All we got to do is go across the river, and that's it. The hard part's over. I can imagine Joshua thinking about that because that's, that's what I would be thinking. 
I thought, wow, that was hard. I'm glad the hard work's over. There's the area that God promised us. And actually, if you read in Joshua, and if you followed us, I, I had the privilege of preaching through this two years ago, uh, you find out that this is one of the most brutal books in the Bible. It is certainly the bloodiest book in the Bible. It is a hard, hard look at what it took to occupy the promised land and what it took to what we would call today to sanctify the land. So we have to understand how Joshua fits in the redemptive arc of the Bible, how it fits into what the Bible tells us about the character and nature of God and uh, how his redemptive plan rolls out. And we have to see that the book of Joshua is the process of cleansing the land. The land is occupied by pagans, by idol worshipers, by people who reject God, by people who rebel against God. And so Joshua ends up taking his army, literally, and hacking his way through the promised land. So it looks brutal until we understand what God's trying to teach us in the book of Joshua. And what he's trying to teach us is that sin has dreadful consequences. The horror of the consequences of sin is far worse than any horror that we see in the book of Joshua. So it is upon us as God's people to eradicate from our lives anything resembling sin, to be brutal in eliminating it from our lives. So Joshua has to move through this moment of standing on the shore and looking over there. He has to move with wisdom. He has to have discretion. He has to walk a tightrope between his emotions and what might seem reasonable to him and what God calls him to do. And he's going to learn how to be obedient. He's also going to learn that the blessings of God uh, come from being totally committed to him. And what happens in these first nine verses of the book of Joshua is his path forward is established. He's given the method, the formula, if you would, that he's going to have to follow for the rest of his career as he occupies Canaan. So in a passage, what we're going to see, we're going to see a group of promises in verses 3 through 5. We're going to see how Joshua needs to participate in those promises in verses 6 through 8. And then we will see the prosperity we're talking about in verse 9, and we'll find out what prosperity actually means. So let's take a look at 3 through 5 in these promises. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, this is God speaking to Joshua, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and the Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So the first thing we see in verse 3 is that he has given Joshua the land. Now, I like that. The land's a good thing. But we have to look at land the way they would have looked at the land about 3,000 years ago. It was the ultimate resource. If Joshua was going to make a home, if he was going to make a living, he had to have land. It was an agrarian culture. So what we should hear in the 21st century is that God is giving Joshua resources. The things that Joshua has, the things that he needs to be able to walk the manner, in the manner that God calls him to walk, God has given him. God has given him all the resources he needs to do what he's been called to do. 
Now, not only has God given him the resources, but in verse 5, we find out that nobody can take him from him. Nobody can disarm him of his resources. They are God-given, God-promised, and although Joshua will come up against oppression, although Joshua will have to battle from time to time, although there will be people that seek to kill Joshua and move these people out of the land, it's not going to happen because God has promised that no one will be able to take them from him. Now, that's all good and fine, standing on the edge of the corner, looking, looking, looking over the river into the promised land. It's nice to know that God has given me that land and that nobody will be able to take it from me. But once he gets across the river, things are going to get tight real quick. And in the heat of the battle, Joshua could very easily forget the promises that he's been given, that the resources are his, that nobody can take them from him. The situation can look bleak. It can look like Joshua may lose things. So God gives Joshua the ultimate promise, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. You won't be alone. You don't have to worry about it because I'm going to be with you as you walk through this. Who can stand against God? So Joshua's got these sweet, sweet promises. But it's not just a matter of Joshua receiving the promises. It's not just Joshua sitting, staring at his navel, going, God's given me the land. This is fantastic. I can just stay right here. He's got to go over and take the land. He has to participate. Some participation in these promises is required of Joshua, verses 6 through 8. God says, be strong and courageous. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Be strong and courageous. I mean, it's the first thing Joshua hears. He's got all these fantastic promises You're going to have to be strong and brave, Joshua. And you can see Joshua going, what did he say? (laughs) I thought this was going to be an easy walk. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, what he's telling Joshua is, you're going to have to stand upright. You're going to have to trust what I'm saying. You're going to have to step, take a walk in faith. When you cross that river, you're going to have to trust that everything I told you is true because your actions will have an influence on the people around you. So Joshua receives the promise, you're going to have resources, I'm going to be with you, nobody can take them from you, but you're going to have to stand up and be a witness. You're going to have to be a testimony to my presence within you, because the people around you are going to watch you. They know that you're the chosen one of God. Let me ask you this. The people around you know that you're one of God's people. If they do, then you can influence them the same way that Joshua's influencing the people around him. Think, be strong and courageous. You shall cause the people. He's not saying you're going to be the one that makes them inherit this. He's going to, you're going to motivate them to walk in the inheritance the same way I'm motivating you is what God's telling them. And then in verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. And at this point, Joshua's other eyebrow goes up. You know, how many times are you going to tell him to be strong and courageous? What is waiting for me over there? Okay? Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand nor to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Strong and courageous, being careful to do everything that you know. Now, he's not telling Joshua, look, I've given you a list of do's and don'ts. He's saying, 
I, I want you to walk in this law. I want you to immerse yourself in this law. I want you to live the word of God. That's how you're going to influence people, by being the, the conveyor, the carrier, the exemplar of the word of God. Do everything I've commanded you to do because you are my representative. You are my messenger. You bear the message of the word of God. And you're going to be so immersed into it that in verse 8, the book shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Does that sound just a little bit boring? I, I mean, are we talking about 24 hours a day? Of course, Joshua didn't have cable. And I, I don't think he had a smartphone. I mean, God couldn't possibly expect his people to meditate on his word day and night, could he? Yeah, he could. I mean, if, if he wants Joshua to be the bearer of the promise, to be the bearer of the truth, Joshua's going to have to know the word of God. He's going to have to be so familiar with it that it just oozes from his pores. It rises up in his spirit and comes flowing out of his mouth. And not just flowing out of his mouth. He's not called to just be a preacher. He's called to be somebody who walks in the word. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how dire the situation may look, he's to have faith and courage in God and his promises, not necessarily in Joshua's capabilities, but in what God has told him. So he wants him to meditate on the word day and night, carry it with him. Why? So that, so that he will be prosperous so that he will have success. There are areas of the church today that those are bad words. Here they are. Well, I like it so that I can be rich. I want to be like the salesman that sat in front of me 30 years ago. But I don't think that's what God's talking about. I think he may be talking about prosperity a little bit differently than the way we see it. This is the type of prosperity that comes from meditating on his word day and night and immersing ourselves in it, from becoming those ambassadors, from becoming those people that not just, don't just convey the word to people, but live it and become living, breathing examples of it. So we find out how God defines prosperity in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Haven't I told you this? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All of the promises that God's talking about, all of this participation that he asks of Joshua is based on knowing God's word. Now this is incredible. Stick with me for just a second here. We live in... A, an age where information has become the new currency. We, we have so much information and so much data coming at us that we, we can hardly process it all. There had been no generation on the face of the earth that could pick up their phone and Google something. <laughs> yeah, 
How, how do I get over there? I, don't worry, I'll Google it. I'm just downstairs talking to Josh about barbecue uh, uh, recipes, and he's Googling and sending me the link so I can Google it as well. Okay, it's really an incredible time. And yet, at the same time, in the evangelical church today, our biggest problem is biblical illiteracy. People don't know their Bibles. Now, not, not everybody. There are some people that are devoted and committed to it. That's fine. And, and, you know, if you're one of those people, praise God. Just view that as a gift. But understand that we're in a culture where people will read about the Bible, they'll watch a video on the thing, they'll, they'll, they'll do some devotion about this or that, and think that they've read their Bible, and they haven't. So we have all sorts of sermons that have object lessons and illustrations, and, but no scripture. And it's just not important. We know a lot about politics Collectively, we know very little about the Bible. We know a lot about the latest movie that's come out. Anybody seen Aquaman? We know very little about the Bible. We know a lot about the Kardashians. We know very little about the Bible. We know a lot about the news and current events and statistics and trivia and so on and so forth. And very little about the Bible. It says tons about who we are and where our culture is going. So when we, find, when we find Bible teaching, when we find scripture-based teaching, it becomes something precious, something to hold on to. God says that my version of prosperity is a deeper relationship with me. And that deeper relationship comes from your knowledge of the Word of God. It's not, it doesn't hit you by osmosis. It doesn't hit you by listening to the latest podcast. It doesn't hit you just by being amongst good people. It comes from you meditating day and night upon the Word of God. See, some of these promises are peculiar to Joshua. But there's a biblical principle being put on display here. And it is that the way to spiritual prosperity. The way to spiritual eternal riches is through a deeper relationship with God and the way to that deeper relationship with God is through meditating upon the scriptures. It's an incredible message. So we've seen these, these promises. He's given us all we need to succeed. Nothing can take it away. And he's not, he, he's not leaving us to our own devices on that. He's going to be with us. He's going to walk through this with us. But we, we have to participate. We have to know his word. We have to live his word. We have to do our part. And when we do our part, God promises us the prosperity that will bring us peace. The prosperity that will bring us joy. The prosperity that will bring us rest. The prosperity that will give us the confidence that we have an eternal home and that nothing in this world will be able to take, us, take that away from us. Nothing in this world will be able to threaten where we're headed and how we got there through Jesus Christ. It's an incredible prosperity. It's a prosperity that the world just can't imagine. God wants us to prosper 
But his definition of prosperity is totally 100% God-centered. It's not a self-centered prosperity. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? How do we do our part? I mean, it's got to be more than just being courageous and strong. That's kind of a nebulous out there. Work up some courage. But the core of this message is about knowing the Bible. The core of this message is about reading the Bible. Now, there's, there's no easy way around this. There's no quick path to, to success. You can't put your head on the pillow and put the Bible under the pillow and think you got more knowledge in the morning than when you went to sleep. You have to read your Bible. We have to read our Bibles. And we have to read it consistently. And we have to read the whole thing. Not just the parts we like. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I used to love reading the parts I like. And for me, I, I had a, a defining moment. Um, and it was right after I got into ministry. Somebody came in and asked me a question about the book of Amos. I couldn't find it. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to look at the table of contents. You know, I couldn't find it. Well, when I found it, I sat there and I was stunned because I didn't ever remember reading it. I had convinced myself that over the 15, 18 years or so I had been a Christian, that I had somehow read all of the books of the Bible. And I, I, I didn't know if I had. I, I, and and uh, I very quickly came to the decision that I didn't know if I had because I had never started at the beginning and worked to the end. So I couldn't find Amos. I knew he was a prophet. I knew there was a section with prophets. You ever done that? You're leafing through the Bible and the book doesn't seem to be there? Some people have a hard time finding the book of Hezekiah. I'll let you talk about that one over lunch. So here's what we're going to do. and We're going to do what we have been doing for the last eight years. We're going to give you the opportunity to begin reading the Bible on January the 1st. Now, we, we, and, and because we're better together... We're going to give you the opportunity for all of us to do it together. Now, you've got a handout uh, in your bulletin. If you didn't get one of those handouts, raise your hand. We've got extra ones in the back. Because this is designed for you to take this home and think about it. Now, notice I'm doing this sermon on December 30th, not January the 6th. So, you've got two days to be guilted into starting a Bible reading program. And you say, well, you're making me feel guilty. I'm not reading. Okay, I'll take it. Okay? So... There are a number of Bible reading programs there. I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but you have the three-year Bible reading program, which is basically one uh, uh, chapter a day. You have the five-by-five-by-five five five Bible reading plan, which is five days a week. You don't read on the weekends. Uh, you have the historical plan, which is the, it's kind of like a Jewish construction. Uh, the Bible books are in there uh, by the date they were written, so they're not in the typical order that we're familiar with. You have the chronological plan, which presents the events in the Bible chronologically, not necessarily in the order that they're written in our Bible. You have, if I, I mean, if you're brave, you great, the great mamma of Bible reading programs is Professor Grant Horner's reading plan. It's 10 chapters a day. Uh, you end up going through Acts 12 times, uh, Psalms and Proverbs four times during the year. 
uh, and the Gospels four times as well. It's a great plan. It takes some time. Um, but you do finish up on September the 8th, I think. Um, you have the How to Change Your Mind reading plan. I'm not going to describe that to you. You need to look that up. It's, it's incredible. And then you have the canonical plan. Uh, that's the plan we've been using for the last couple years. And that's just starting with Genesis and working our way all the way through Revelation. One reading a day, two, three, four chapters at a time. Now, if you don't like any of those, there's a list of ministries here that have a larger variety of, of uh, reading plans. Uh, and you have the links there on your handouts. You can go to our website and click on these links, and they'll take you to these. Now, on the re Bible reading plans, it'll take you to a chart that you can print out, uh, put on your refrigerator, carry with you, whatever. Uh, on the other ones, it'll take you to the ministry website. And if you want to do this on your phone, which I think is a great way to do it, there are a variety of apps. Uh, we've got a number of them listed here. I just want to point out version, which is at Bible.com. Uh, I, I think you have to look at Bible.com uh, in the App Store to find that. We have a lot of people here are on version. It's handy. It's easy to use. It will help you track it. It will tell you if you've gotten behind. Uh, it lists them day-to-day, uh, -day, and their canonical reading plan is the general one that we've been using for the last few years. Um, you can also go online to the ESV Bible. They have an app that has a couple of reading plans on it. You can choose one of those. And there's a new one called Dwell. Uh, it just came out late uh, this year. Uh, I signed up for it. This is an audio Bible. Um, it's not what we would call a dramatic reading, but there's a tremendous uh, orchestral background to it. Uh, there are a number of different readers. Uh, I've found it to be very soothing. There is a charge for the app, but it's an incredible program, and you can find that as well online. If you, know, if you don't like those, iTunes, uh, the Android store, they've got, uh, they've got a, a million different apps in there. Find one, okay? A couple articles in there. Where do I begin reading the Bible if you've never done this before? Bible reading as an art, uh, which kind of integrates it into your daily life. Uh, how not to do a writing, reading plan, and three tips for better Bible reading, and nine things everyone should do when reading the Bible. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, and, and again, you know, this is our opportunity to do something together. Uh, we started this quite some time ago. Um, on the canonical reading plan, um, we're going to send an email out to everybody. Now, everybody in, on our contact list is going to receive this email. If you do not receive the email, we don't have your email address. So you, it, you can opt out if you don't want this coming to your inbox. There's, we, we take no offense at it. It's totally up to you. But we're going to give everybody that we know the opportunity to read daily. So you receive an email that says our readings for the day. Uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3 is the first reading. That will go out on January 1st. Uh, again, if you want to opt out, there's a simple procedure to opt out. If you don't understand the procedure to opt out, just send us a note. We'll take you off. But we're going to send it out to everybody. Now, it'll have two links on it. One will be the reading for the day. The other one will be a link to my blog, which will be a commentary. The blog is optional. Uh, and I've got to tell you something there. Sometimes I get a little wordy in it, okay? So there'll be two or three chapters to the link. It'll take you to Blue Letter Bible. Uh, you can read through it there. If you want to read a little bit deeper, if you have some questions about what you saw, 
then you can click on the link and take the commentary. The commentary is an overview of how this passage fits in the Bible. So it's not a typical devotional. It'll be what this, what this passage reveals to us about the character and nature of God and his redemptive arc in the Bible. Uh, so those two opportunities will be with you. Um, it'll be on our website. There'll be a link for that with a logo that looks a little bit like this right here. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, we've got the blog. It'll be up on Facebook as well. We put those postings out on a daily basis. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you to participate in this. If you want to do the canonical plan, we're going to give you all the tools to be able to do this with just a, a click or two. Now, I've got a couple of tips that, uh, uh, and, and I want to tell you, when we started doing this with the emails four years ago, uh, I think the first year we started out with 30, 35 people. I was kind of excited. We ended the year with three, and I think one of them was me. Uh, so, and, and so I said, well, this is how it is, you know, and we decided to do it for a second year. At the end of the second year, we had 15 or 16. And I do this by the number of, of blog hits I get on my, my blog each day. Uh, so at, I thought, well, okay, we, we, we had an increase. Well, in the third year, we had 45 to 50. Last year, we had somewhere around 100 to 125. So every year, we pick up a few people. It's not just people from Warrington Bible Fellowship that are reading it, uh, but the blog gets hits from all over the place. Uh, so that's the resource that's available to you. You don't have to use it. Um, the, a lot of work has gone into it. I, I, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with it when it's all compiled, but uh, it's great for if you're in the middle of a passage and it just doesn't seem to make some sense. Uh, you can go there, and maybe that'll help explain it to you. So here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to prayerfully, reverently, humbly decide that you're going to do this in some form. The three-year Bible reading plan is great. Again, it's a chapter a day. If a chapter a day is too much, can you commit to a paragraph a day? I mean, it's, it's a matter of absorbing the word, but you've you got to make the decision. We just heard that if we want spiritual maturity, if we want depth in our relationship with God, we have to know the Word of God. So it's not enough to just come here on Sunday and hear about it. You have to immerse yourself in it. Uh, so make the decision. Do it. Then, then once you've made that decision, look at all these options and pick a plan that works for you. Don't overreach. Don't make it too ambitious. It's probably not a good idea if you've never done a daily Bible reading plan to jump into Grant Horner's reading plan of 10 chapters a day. But make it something that's not going to intimidate you, something that's not going to burn you out after the first three or four days. Now, you can read with a friend. Uh, some accountability can be good. version is fantastic with that. You can put your contacts in version. It'll tell you who else that you know is reading the Bible. And there's little encouragements to go back and forth. But have some accountability. You don't have to necessarily read it together. You just have to know that you're both reading the, the program or a small group or whatever you're going to do with that. Have some accountability. And make your plan as accessible as possible. I just can't overstate this. Um, most of us have a favorite Bible. How many people have a favorite Bible? Now, let me, let me, let me give you a tip here. Love that Bible. Uh, it's been with you a long time, but don't make that your only Bible. You know, if, if, if you need to have a Bible in your car, have a Bible at work, 
have a Bible at school, have a Bible on your bedstand, have a Bible in your office, have a Bible in your kitchen, put it on your phone, have it on your computer, so that you have no excuse for not reading. So have a Bible everywhere you go. Have the plan with you everywhere you go. The most convenient thing to do is use it on your phone. Okay, and the easiest thing to do is instead of checking your email, read your reading. Instead of Googling for the barbecue recipe like I plan on doing later on this afternoon, okay, do your Bible reading. Give that 10 or 15 minutes to the Lord and see what he does with it. Make it your priority. It doesn't have to be your entire day, but it should be a high priority. Make it as accessible as possible. Make it convenient to find your Bible. And the best thing to do, best way to do this is to do this at a specific time. Have a time that is dedicated to the Lord. How many people here watch TV? Okay. Now, I, I, know, I know a lot of you don't, but thank you for those who were honest. Thank you. Okay. I like to watch TV. When I, when I take a break, I like to watch TV. And I've got to tell you something. Over the last couple years, I have developed a habit of eating popcorn when I watch TV. And I have become Pavlov's dog. <laughs> so, you know, I could be sitting in front of my computer all day long, studying, writing, whatever. I put a TV show on my computer, and i got to have popcorn. Okay? So, that's a habit. That's something that has been established from a long time of eating popcorn while I watch TV. Now my body thinks that that's part of watching TV. Okay? Train your body... Train your mind to make this part of your day. Do it when you get up. Do it before you read your email, before you read your text. Before, you know, maybe, maybe you're not real good when you first wake up. Do it while you're eating breakfast. Make it your breakfast time. Become Pavlov's dog with Scripture. Okay? If, if you can't do it when you wake up, if you can't do it at breakfast time, maybe you can do it at the beginning of lunch. Maybe you can do it while you're commuting. Maybe you can do it as soon as you get home. I'm going to just recommend don't wait till the end of the day. I don't do real well with that. Maybe you do fantastic. God bless you. Okay? If I'm trying to read the Bible at 10 o'clock, I get Pavlov dog again because I learned to go to sleep. So, but train your body. Let it become a habit. Let it become an integral part of your day to the point that you're uncomfortable when you're not doing it at that time. You can do this. The other thing I want to tell you is if you fall behind, and all of us do from time to time, don't worry about getting caught up. We're not fighting with the calendar here. We're not trying to make this into a, a, a legalistic, I've got to do this every day, I've got to stay on calendar. If you fall behind, just pick up where you left off. It's okay. The goal is to get familiar with the Word. The goal is not to finish in a year. The goal is to get familiar with the Word. So if the goal is to get familiar with the Word, not only do you not have to get caught up if you get behind, but you should avoid allowing this time to become a study time. Bible study is good. We need to do it from time to time. But for this time, for this time of getting familiar with your Scriptures, don't do the cross-references. Don't go looking up the meaning of the words. Just get familiar with the narrative arc of the Bible. The rest will come. If there's things you're curious about, highlight them. Scratch a note on a piece of paper and move on. Then go back. I will guarantee you if you stop to study a word or a passage or you start looking at cross-references, you won't finish your reading for the day.
We ended up 45 minutes, 30 minutes or so. I got to go now. I'll finish the rest later on today. And then later on today, even if you do to get to it, you're going to start doing the, the same thing. So let this be a time where you just get familiar with the word. You're going to see some amazing things. The first thing you're going to see is you've got to read through the genealogies. That's always a joy. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. If you're faithful in reading through the genealogies, you'll start recognizing names. You know, you'll be four or five chapters down. Hey, wait a minute. I saw that name. I know that guy. Don't go back and look at it. Highlight it. Okay? But what we want to do is we just want to be familiar with the narrative arc of the Bible, familiar with what it says. So we're going to resist the urge to make it a study time. So our collective group will be the canonical reading. I've already given you all the details on that. Uh, you can go to the website today uh, and see some of that. Matter of fact, all the information I've just given you is available on the website as well. I, I just pray. I pray that the Spirit moves in your heart. And, uh, I mean, he literally had to drag me kicking and screaming into this. Uh, and it's become one of the most precious parts of my day. Um, and, I, and I just got to tell you, uh, the first year I did it, I got done. Uh, I, I finished a day early. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> and I thought, oh, boy, that's done. <laughs> and on January 1st, I thought, you know what? I probably need to start again. And the more we read it, the more prosperous you will become in your relationship with your Father in Heaven. And it's not my guarantee, that's his. Amen?